So we're going to continue in worship this morning. I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles out with me, if you would. And we're going to continue to work in Ephesians. Um, we're in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. I think this is going to be on page 812 or close in our Bibles, if you don't have one of your own. By the way, if you don't have one of your own, we would love to buy you a Bible. So if you don't have one, talk to me or uh, Ruby Burns or Corey Adolph, and uh, we'll hook you up with a Bible of your, of your own to, to have and write in and engage with. And so we're going to kind of just walk through some scripture. I reminded you last week that um, we were picking up on a series we stopped on early in the year. We did half of it. We did one through three. We're picking up four through six, the chapters of Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter written to the church in Ephesus. And it's Paul writing to a church that he started there, a church plant, Family Bible Church. He wrote back to them and he said, hey, let me encourage you in some things. And the first three chapters are all about what God did. And, and the second, the, the four through six is about our response to that, how our life looks in Christ. And last week, the, the one thought that I um, want to remind us of is that uh, it was the fullness of God. It was the magnitude of God that Paul was writing about. Uh, there was no concern because he was in charge. I think about church and it's funny to me. I, I was raised in church. I don't know if you were. And uh, I wasn't raised, I, w- I was raised Roman Catholic, which was a little different, but close. You know what I mean? Uh, we, we were, um, we had the pretty, prettier building, to be honest with you. Uh, we had a lot of nice stained glass, you know, I dug that. I uh, didn't have a painted ceiling in my church because we weren't that rich. Um, but St. Louis had those. <laughs> and we go sometimes. But one thing that, I, that really that formed me early on was Communion. You know, we, I talked to someone last week about communion, and they talked about weekly communion. Why don't you do communion weekly? But I remember, and if you've been to a Roman Catholic Mass, you know that the officiant or the priest will stand here or the communion server, and they will form a line. But when you come up to them every time, and so, by the way, there was something that was interesting. When I was a kid, they wanted to put it right in your mouth, right, which I found a little weird. I'm not saying it is weird, but I found it weird because I have like a germ thing, I guess, when I was a kid, even though I was dirty all the time. And so I'd be like, you know, put it in my, it was a big deal. I think they just started that whenever I was at that age, you know. I could actually put it in my own mouth. But they would say these words. They would say, what? The body of Christ. The body of Christ. The body of Christ. I remember that. I remember waiting in line, just, you know, like hoping I was going to be, get there. You know, and you hear them. You're getting closer. It's your moment. Here you come. The body of Christ. They'd have you share in that taste, that unique taste of what it means to be in the church. And, and it was interesting to me because those words form something. I, I would say now as an adult, there were some things right and some things wrong for me. And I don't know what that means, but I just, there were some things that didn't connect, but some things that did. And I'm going to talk about that as we get into Ephesians today, because today we're talking about the body of Christ, Jesus, our Lord. And the truth is, church, and the reason that we even do this stuff here is that you are the body of Christ. That you are the body of Christ. That you are the body of Christ. And that's how these things work. Please join me in prayer. We always pray as we enter into God's word. And then we're going to jump right into Ephesians 4, uh, chapter, se- uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Pray with me. Father, we believe your word is inspired truth. We believe it stands above any other teaching in the world. We believe it has wisdom beyond the ages, that it came as a revelation from your hand, 
and it's been faithfully preserved through the power of your Holy Spirit and the saints you've called. I pray, Father, that in this day, your spirit, the same spirit that inspired it, would inspire us to understand it. That if we lack understanding, if we have these, this, these struggles in our faith, that you would illuminate the areas of darkness. That you, by your presence, would teach us in that living relationship kind of way and not in the dry way. Father, that we would come to love you as much as you love us. And uh, I know this is only possible by your presence and your spirit. And so today we ask that you would dwell with us, teach us, lead us, shape us today by your word. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful and mighty name. Amen. So we're going to jump in here to Ephesians 7. I, I hope you do that in your private time. I say it all the time, but pray before you read the Word of God and just see what he's teaching you through it. It's okay to listen to God's teaching. This is what the Word says today. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. I just want to stop right there already, right? I told you that last week we talked about the fullness of Christ, right? You remember that, look back with me at the very last verse, chapter 4, verse 6, that we studied last week. It says, we have one God and one Father who is over all, who is through all, and who is in all. And over, in, and through is everything. That there's nowhere that God isn't saturating us with his presence. And here, in this way, Paul says, and to each one of you, grace has been apportioned by Christ. Um, I, I don't know where you are, and I don't know if you believe that, but Christ has given us grace. I mean, he came to give grace. The word says he came to save. He came to save the world. And this is the witness of Jesus in the Gospels, that he himself came to give us grace. I want you to notice in chapter, uh, in verse 7, it says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Isn't that interesting, the word? I know I've talked about this before, but I want to spend a second here. That Christ apportioned the grace in your life. That Christ apportioned the grace in my life. That's tremendous. The word for all is each and every and total that Jesus himself merited, weighed out the grace that he pours upon you in your life. Let me tell you something, that the grace that Jesus apportioned you is enough. It's enough. I'm amazed at how tender God's care is in my life. I'm amazed at how consistent his teaching is. He just continues to lavish himself and the minute that I believe that I've gotten to the end of God's grace, that I'm going to finally get the, the bad boy speech, he pours more. The same is true for you. Christ himself apportioned grace to us is what the word says. Paul says he's teaching, remember, from the fullness of God. And he says, in the fullness of God, Christ has apportioned grace to each one of you. This is a great word because not only is it apportioned, but he gave it to us, to us. We're going to talk about this in a minute. There's so much great teaching from the scriptures about the reality of the world that we live in. It says, um, uh, he gave it to each of us to have. And we talked earlier about the promises of God, you know. They're irrevocable, the call of God. 
And he has given it. And he, he's not like, he doesn't take it back. He lets us have it. I almost have the image in my mind, he lets us wallow in it. We're surrounded by his grace. We can't outrun it. We can't fall short of his grace. It's always there, and it's such a gift. As a matter of fact, it's kind of funny because we had a little hoedown this morning up here at Family Bible Church, praise God. And there's this great old song that everybody knows. I mean, everybody knows. And it's a song about God's grace, isn't it? How amazing it is. I mean, you can go anywhere. You can talk. I don't care who you talk to. They know that song. Amazing grace? Yeah, I know that song. What's so amazing about grace? It's because Christ apportioned it to us. The song is written as a response to the overwhelming love we find in Jesus Christ. And we just live and dwell in that place, the grace of Jesus. Now, see, here's the thing, right? It's easy. I mean, it's easy when you know Jesus to, to, to get it, to get that gracefulness. But I don't know if, where you are today. And I, I remember for so long, I sat out there and I just thought, not for me. I, I know all you church people, you got enough grace for you because y'all are goody goodies anyway. You know what I mean? But not for me. If that's you, whatever your life, whatever you've been through, I want to just affirm today that the grace of God is enough for you. That he's apportioned it. As a matter of fact, he's measured it out. You say, not me, Lord, I'm too far. And he says, I know exactly how far you are, and that's exactly how much grace I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you enough to cover you in my presence, in my love. Grace abounds. It's a beautiful thing, and I, I hope that you believe that today. The miracle of the cross is that Jesus died while we were yet sinners to cover us. The scriptures say that he died according to scripture, that he was buried, and three days later he rose according to scripture to apportion his grace to us on the cross. That's why we have it up here. It's not up here as a symbol or it's up here to remind us of his apportion of grace that he poured out. And not the cross isn't it for the whole world. The abundance of his grace. I alluded to it earlier, you know, the gospel says, John 3, 16 says, for God's love the world, what? That whosoever, whosoever, should believe will be saved. Whosoever. That's grace for you. That's grace for you. Paul goes on, read with me to teach something, and I want you to see it. This is interesting because it kind of turns and you might go, what was that? Verse 8, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he left captives in his train and gave gifts to men. That's a quote from a psalmist. He goes on to say, Paul writes, what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher, listen to the word, than all the heavens in order to what? Fill the whole universe. What? He says this, Christ who died for you is the one who ascended. Do you remember when Jesus went to be with the Father? He said, I'm going to be with the Father. And then he went. 
And Paul said the same one who went had descended to the lower earthly realms and ascended to above the heavenly places so that the whole universe would be filled with him. What Paul is saying is that if you are having a hard time believing today that God has enough grace for you, the witness and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is he had enough for everybody. Not only us, but the whole universe. Those are big words from Paul. He ascended to prove his grace, to demonstrate his power and presence. I just think that's amazing. I think it's amazing that Paul connected those things when he wrote to his church in Ephesus. Church in Ephesus, God has given enough grace. Don't ever doubt it. That's, we take the same confidence here. That's why we take confidence here, because Christ has given enough grace, right? That's why each of us can take confidence in our own lives, because Christ has given us enough grace. All right, so we're going to continue in verse 11. Check this out. And it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure, here it is again, of the fullness of Christ. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes people read that verse and they just skip past stuff. I used to do that. Read that verse and go, no, uh-uh, evangelist, uh-uh, no, no, right? He, he's demonstrating again in the abundance of God's grace that he has given something else besides his grace to us. And you know what it is? It's interesting. He has given us one another. Read what the word says. Just look at it with me in verse 11. It was he, he who, he, Jesus, the Christ, who gave some. Jesus gave some, right? We already know he gave some grace. We said that this morning. He gave enough grace. As a matter of fact, when he gave some grace, he gave the perfect amount of grace for you. When you're wondering in that moment of struggle or of conflict, of, of difficulty, is there enough grace for me? Remember that the word of God promises that Jesus gave enough for you. He apportioned it himself. He is sovereign and in charge. And so he gave some grace, the perfect amount for each of us and the perfect amount for all of us. But, you know, Jesus gave something else. And I, 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 this really struck me, but you've been given away. You have been given away. He didn't just give his grace to you. He gave you away too. That's what the word says. He gave some, and then the list goes, down, to be apostles, to be prophets, to be evangelists, to be pastors, to be teachers. He gave some. He gave us to each other. That's pretty interesting. Jesus himself gave us away. The list there is an idea of giftedness, that he gave us gifts. This is another conversation I have a lot with people. Well, I'm not a pastor and evangelist. I don't have those. God has given you gifts. If you are a follower of Jesus, he has gifted you to give you to others. That's his call in your life, that you're going to give yourself away. And here, 
And this isn't the only place we find this in Scripture, but here we have these lists of some of the ways that God has given his people away. I want you to remember that Paul was writing back to the church he started because he had gone somewhere else, right? Paul was an evangelist. He was a church starter, church planter, and he was writing back to encourage them. He himself was a gift to them. He was giving himself away in the abundance of Christ. And so we have these gifts that have been given, but they aren't for us. They're for others to be given away. Now, see, this is where we get in trouble again because we start to prioritize like, well, I'm not gifted like that person. I'm gifted totally differently than this other person. There's other places we find this in Scripture, I've said that already, where Paul enumerates the need for the whole body. But in God's gift to you, it's the best gift. It's his best gift for you. And we take confidence in that. A few years ago, we did a family group, um, which I was blessed to be part of, and we studied a book called Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. I don't know who was involved in that family group, but it was phenomenal. I mean, it was one of those groups that you experience, and it changes the way you see everything. And there's a teaching that I learned there I want to share with you because when we see giftedness, when we see things in the church and around the church, and, and, and of any, you know, in the world, we have a tendency towards two things. We have a tendency as humans toward jealousy, and we have a tendency toward envy, Right? I mean, it's hard. You see everybody else. You see what's going on with them, and you have these things in your heart that call you. That you, you go, how? What's the, how come? Why is that that way? And if we don't understand the scripture today that says that Jesus gave some gifts to you, you may tend to feel that way. Well, what's, what's mine? He gave you the perfect, the best gift so Jerry Bridges explains it this way. He says, all sin is rooted in a lack of a faith in the sovereignty of God, that God is in charge. I mean, our fundamental sin, even going back to the Garden of Eden, is that God wasn't a keeper of his word, right? What did God say? If you do this, this is going to happen. Really? Click, right? Checked it out. He was right. That's what happened. So this is the essence of all of our sin, is that we don't think he's in charge. How does this tie into envy and jealousy? This is the way Jerry Bridges explains it. And like I said, it just rocked my world. He said, if you believe what we just read in Ephesians, that God has given you some gifts, then, then, and, and, and every, every station of life, I mean, not just you know, spiritual gifts, but everything that he has apportioned it to you, if you don't believe that fundamentally, you'll tend toward jealousy or envy. And he explains this way. He says, envy is believing that God gave someone else something he should have given to you. So think in a minute, okay? So you look down the street and you see that guy over there and you wonder, hey, that's cool. Why didn't I get that? And Jerry Bridges says, fundamentally, you are questioning God's sovereignty in giving the gift to him and not to you. You're saying, what that guy got, I should have got. You got it wrong. That's envy. And we all do it. We do it in huge ways and subtle ways. And in that moment, we display our faithlessness 
in God's sovereignty and portion. So that's envy. Well, what about jealousy then, right? This is so cool. He, Jerry explains. Jerry, by the way, is this kind of this, I don't know how old he is. He's got to be, he's very wise. And he's got to be an older man. And he's just amazing uh, to interact with. But he, he, and praise God for that. He'd be the first one. He wouldn't want me doting on him. But here's what he says. Jealousy is believing that someone else can take what God has given you. Do you hear? That someone can take what God has given you. Jealousy makes you defensive, not generous. Je jealousy makes you uh, um, protective. It makes you close up. It, it, it makes you afraid. Because you don't believe that God in his sovereign hand has placed that in your life. And this, you know, the most obvious place to think of jealousy is in love relationships. You know what I mean? Like you can make yourself crazy in love if you're a jealous person. But there's a fundamental lack of belief that God has apportioned your spouse for you. But it goes beyond that. Spiritual gifts, financial gifts, the way people behave in the world. Anything that you see, you can say, that's my heart being envious, or this is my heart being jealous. Anything that you have, if you hold it tightly, you're displaying. I'm not talking about, I'm just saying, we have stuff but it's from God, and only he can take it away. Believing in his sovereignty, believing that he apportioned gifts to us. As a matter of fact, just so you don't think I'm being biased here, there is multiple scriptures that are written to conflict in the church. In Ephesians, or I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul, Paul writes to a conflict about him and another church leader. And Paul's indignant about this. He says, you're being worldly because God has given me what I need. God's given Apollos what he needs. And it's God's anyway. These aren't our people. He says, you're being mere humans, church, when you quarrel. I mean, I'm here to confess that that happens in church. It happens between churches. It happens all throughout God's people. We just fight. And Paul says, you're being mere humans. Christ has apportioned the gifts to you for you. And that's enough. There's another place in the book of James, right? The half-brother of Jesus. And he writes that whenever there's evil or jealousy, I mean, evil envy or jealousy in your heart, it's your own sinful desire, that's causing you to sin. Same idea. The quarreling comes from a heart not right before God. So this is what we have, that Christ gave us away. That he gave grace, the perfect amount. That he gave gifts, the best ones. And then here's the last, though. All his people, all his people have been given away. Scripture says that, do you not know you were bought with a price? And guess what? You didn't pay the bill. Jesus did. People say, and I say in my heart, Jesus, how can you ask this of me? You can't ask this of me. And Jesus said, I'm sorry. You're paid for. You go where I send you. You do what I call you to do. And for every believer in Jesus, the story is the same. 
you have been bought by him so he can give you away in redeeming his world. All his people, all his people have been given gifts. All right. So we've, so far we've seen this now, that God has given us grace. God has given us a way. Now pick it up in verse 12 with me, if you will, for the final thought here. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service. So the body of Christ, and I'm going to explain that, may be built up until reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure and the fullness of Christ. Christ gave us a way First, he says, to build one another up. Later on, Paul's going to write to the church in Ephesus, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth unless it's to build someone else up. Well, that's a hard verse to obey. If you're not building someone else up, you're tearing them down. Build them. That's what we've been given to do. So that the body of Christ, and this is, He's going to fill this illustration out in the next few verses. But the body of Christ may be built up. That's why you've been given. Encouraging one another, right? But, you know, the other thing is being honest with each other, right? We've been given to encourage, but be honest with each other. I remember one time I had uh, my first car. Um, it was a really old beater. Every car should be a first car should be a beater, in my opinion. I know not all kids get to experience the lovely thing that is a beater first, but you should have one, you know. Um, and, and I remember I took it in, and I was really proud of it. I went to show it to one of my uncles, and I was like, hey, check it out, man. I, I got this awesome car. It's so cool. And he goes, this thing is shot, you know. I said, no, it looks good. And he took a screwdriver out, and he started to poke holes in my car. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, and this is, you know what it is? It's a mechanic's mindset, isn't it? You ever seen them? You take a car into the shop, and they start poking on it and see what breaks. Because they want to find out what's real and what's not, right? See, before we can build each other up, as we're called to do, we are called to do that. We have to find the good foundation. We have to get down. I remember another time I was uh, looking at a house and my father-in-law came over and there was a board and he goes, I think there might be damage in that board. And I'm like, yeah, it looks kind of funny. And he did the same thing. He took a hammer, he started bang, bang, bang to see what was in there. And all kind of stuff started falling out of the ceiling. And I was like, dude, stop. It's my house. And you know what he said? If you don't fix it, it's going to fall on you. Right? Read on with me. He says, making the fullness of Christ. 14, we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. But instead, speaking the truth in love, we shall in all things grow up into him who is Christ. You see there? So we're called to build each other up. Or we're called to speak the truth in love. And we've talked about this before, Family Bible Church, speaking the truth in love. I'm going to give you the real quick definition that God led us to through some study we did. But it means that to, to speak truth with the interests of the other party, the hearer, and not your own. So if you're, if you, I'm just going to tell you something, get it off my chest, you probably got the wrong motive. But if you think if you don't tell them there's going to be some disaster for them, you owe them the responsibility to speak the truth in love. 
You speak the truth through your actions. You speak the truth through your behavior. But you always do it in love. Sometimes we are rightfully criticized at church because we stand outside and scream at people. And it doesn't feel like love to be spoke to that way. Paul says, if we speak the truth in love, you look at it, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of craftiness and every teaching and the cunningness of men. It becomes different. You know, in an interesting way, it's like we talked about earlier with our finances. You get to the truth, it becomes different. The world loses its power over you. You begin to poke the holes in the stuff that's broken that doesn't work, and you get to the real, the easy, the clear. And then you can begin to have new life. By the way, this whole part of Ephesians is about this new life in Christ, putting on the new life. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, listen, the whole body, joined and held together by its every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. The body builds itself as each part does its work. The final reason that you and I have been given away is so that we may all attain the full measure of the maturity of Christ. That we can grow up into Jesus. Do you hear the language that he's using about the body of Christ? Each one has been given a gift. Each one has been given grace. And each one is called to grow together into maturity in Christ Jesus. And this goes beyond any local church. This is God's church in the world. We've had the privilege I mean, the absolute sheer pleasure of journeying to faraway lands where we think we're going to go and experience something totally different. And when we get there, we realize that God has been there and we're only there to build up the body of Christ. And we show up. We went to Guatemala. I've been to Costa Rica. You guys are going to Africa. And you show up and you realize that they are building you. You are building them. The body is building itself up into the maturity in Christ. You come back home from a experience. And it don't have to be other, you know, you can go 20 minutes from Highland and have an out of, you know, out of um, your reality experience and what the gospel is doing in the church. And then you come home and you kind of go, yeah, all that little stuff doesn't affect me so much. There's a bigger thing happening in the kingdom of God. And if you believe in Jesus, you're invited to be part of the bigger thing that God is doing. This allows us so much freedom in Christ, so much celebration of his love, so much of a gift of his presence that it changes everything for us. Babies are cute, but who would want to be a baby forever? Grow up. Church, in the maturity of Christ. It's interesting, too, that Jesus is referred as the head. I mean, this is a literal illustration that Paul's making so that when you walk home, you can think about it, right? He wrote this to the church, and churches are complex. And even back in Ephesians and Ephesus, the church was complex. And they were making messes, and Paul wrote a letter to encourage them about the mess they were making. And we read it, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Thanks, Paul. 
Thanks, God, for reminding us. When Jesus is the head of the church, tying together every supporting ligament, you know what the body does? You know what the body does? Whatever he wants. That's what the body does. Did you see that? I didn't even think about that when I did it. See what my arm did? Whoop. That's my brain working. You know what I mean? The head is Christ. We're the body. What do my arms do? Whatever I tell them to do. You know, one of the signs we see of disease is when our body won't listen anymore. We know something's broken. The word says that Jesus is the head, that we are the body. And as a healthy body in Christ, as people who are going to the place where there'll be no more aging, where we're going to never grow old, we will move and have our being in him for eternity. But even now, church, Paul says, the grace apportioned to you lets you move and be part of his work. Be obedient to his call. Exercise your gifts. Be faithful followers of him. This is the great gift in Christ, to become mature, growing up in him who is the head. So, that's what we have today. And you wonder, so what? Like, how did you end up here today? I don't know, like, why are you here You might be saying that to yourself. Maybe you've never, and this is not, I want to step, this is not about family Bible church, but maybe you've never thought that God has me where he wants me, why he wants me there. And if you're visiting and, you, and you're here today and you come from another church, maybe God has you right there. Maybe God has you right in those relationships that in obedience to him, you can be part of his work. You can be part of his body that moves and loves and builds up and serves. I told you a few weeks ago that Jesus' whole ministry started with a simple invitation to follow him. And today Paul says, okay, church, you're following Jesus. The job is to mature in him, to grow up in all things, in him who is the head. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up, the Alvarez family, and they're going to lead us. But as they come, I'm going to ask you to consider, just consider where you are in the body of Christ. Paul says every body is important. Paul says every person has their part. Every person has their gifts and their responsibilities. He actually says that the weaker things are more important than the strong things. Paul says that if, if you look at the thing and you go, well, I don't have that, Paul's saying to you, you probably have the more important gift than that one you see. If you feel that yours doesn't matter, Paul says it may be the most important. Today I'm going to invite you to stand and sing with us when we respond, but I'm going to invite you to consider your place in God's church, what he is doing in your life. And if, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't believe he is God, I would, I would ask you to consider it. Uh, talk to him about that uh, because it can change everything for you. He died to save sinners. Matter of fact, John three seventeen says, 
For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. He did not come into the world to condemn it, but that it would be saved through him. And so the invitation is for you. That you too can be saved in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you, church, to pray with me. I'm going to ask you to pray with me where you are today to ask God if he's moving in your life today. Father God, we've come here to hear from your word. Father, as much as we're able in our humanity to sit at your feet and listen and to hear what you're speaking unto us. And for every person here, Father, we give you praise and glory for the work you're doing. I pray we'd only have eyes to see and ears to hear the way you're moving among us. And I pray that by your grace and the apportion of your grace that we would be found faithful what you've been given us. That we would really uh, live up to the standard of Jesus Christ. And in everything, Father, I pray your grace abounds. If there are those here who don't know you, I pray they would know the simple invitation to follow, to believe and be covered. If there are those who don't believe the grace is enough, I pray we would know it. And I pray that each would find its place in your work and your kingdom. Each of us would. May you be glorified through everything. May you uh, be praised for the work you're doing here. In Christ's name, amen.